You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I am Martina Cunha and you are listening to Backstage Talk. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Backstage Talk. Today's guest is the amazing Mr. Paul Winkler. He is a Broadway journalist and he has been writing a lot lately. Um... And I am really excited to have him here on the show. So, Paul, thank you so much for coming over and welcome to Backstage Talk. Thank you so much for having me. So, Paul, um, I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit okay. and ask you, why did you end up writing in the entertainment industry? So, go ahead. Yeah, it's a, it's a cute story. I'm sure many have similar stories, but uh, essentially I was in acting school at the Neighborhood Playhouse School of the Theater. So if those of you who don't know, in New York City, it's uh, Meisner's school uh, that he taught at before he passed away. Very authentic Meisner. And uh, they have very strict protocols, so you're not allowed to audition while you're there. They kicked out many a famous actors. I could tell you stories and stories. It's fabulous. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, I've acted my whole life since I was eight, and I have to do something. Like, I can't just not perform and I can't not audition. So I kind of realized it was pretty easy to um, either email or get in touch or write a letter to the stage door of different actors or creatives and whatnot. And I was like, why don't I just do a podcast? Um, and that was the beginning of Broadway Buzz uh, that I created. And it was really just to do something for, for you know, for fun and to entertain myself, but it became a lifelong profession, I guess you could say. And it's been such a fabulous journey ever since. Very fortunate that it's still going. <laughs> That's great. I love it. So you started with this podcast with Broadway Buzz and then yeah. like transferred all the way into writing and journalism. Yeah, it was a it was a journey. Um, essentially, it became a website, became a brand, and uh, I was doing a lot of the legwork for it, and it was awesome. And the coolest thing was, um, people didn't know who I was uh, unless they met me, or I said, "Oh, I'm from Broadway Buzz." You know, I'd sort of put the name to it, and uh, a lot of people didn't realize I was 18 
know at the time. So a lot of times I would do interviews or podcasts just like you're doing. And they said, you're, you're 19, you're, you're 20, you're 21, you know. So I was growing up in the city as well as in school. It was a really interesting time and did that for a number of years. I don't know, eight years, something like that. Um, and then I started another brand and then another brand. And then it just said, you know, I'm just going to do more freelance work as a journalist, but it's helped me, uh, especially in recent days when we are in this pandemic and the work is not really coming to us. I've been able to sustain myself as a journalist and be able to cover some really interesting and dark and, and trying times for this wonderful uh, business we call show. Um, and I'm very grateful for that because I know how difficult it has been for many of our um, friends and family who are struggling in this time, uh, not just with the pandemic, but just, you know, wanting to perform and you can't do that. Or, you know, you're a writer or stage manager, whatever it is, I think it's really, um, this is a time to remember and be grateful for what we have. I absolutely agree with you. I wanted to know how was entering that Broadway world through interviewing people, through writing stuff? Yeah. How was for you entering that Broadway world? It was really exciting. You know, I <laughs> I was never famous. I would never use that word, but I was, everybody at that time knew who I was and I didn't know why. Like to this day, you know, people write on my Facebook wall who are, you know, who I think are like, Broadway gods. And I'm like, what? Who? How do you know me? You know, but I, that first two years, especially, I went to like, like 32 Broadway opening nights. I don't know. People just kept inviting me. You know, I think it's sort of very addicting. And um, especially when you're very young, I think people are like, they love to see that passion. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of built from there and you meet somebody and you meet somebody else. And it was really thrilling, um, you know, and I'm still grateful to be a part of this industry. But like the, the first two years, it was like the most exciting time in my life. <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, 32 yeah. opening nights. I've never been into an opening night myself, but yeah. I can just imagine the thrill of it. It's funny. And they're, they're really fun, usually, uh, especially if it's a hit. <laughs> I mean, it's fun either way because you're celebrating the industry. Um, but it's really funny because you find out that all the same people go to the same after parties typically. <laughs> so you could just go oh, to this bar. Oh, everyone's here. You know, uh, you sort of learn those those little industry tips. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. So talking specifically about your craft as a journalist in the entertainment industry, what has been the biggest challenge you have faced as a journalist? Yeah, um, I think unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously. Uh, I uh, not, not recently, I've been very grateful in this moment in time. But I know, as we mentioned, it's been very difficult for so many reasons. Um, especially, you know, theater doesn't happen virtually. Not, not really. <laughs> you know, it's an in-person medium. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, I was uh, the second brand that I created um, with a company. It was so exciting, a big project, lots of money behind it. And it was really, it was someone else's idea, but it really all came from what I had conceded uh, or, or conceived for this. And um, I spent, 
I don't know, three, three, six months. I can't remember the exact timeline. Um, this couple years ago, but um, after everything was said and done, they decided that they just weren't interested in continuing to do the project and. That really hit me hard. It, it was not even the being unemployed part, but it was the fact that I just put so much passion into it and I put so many things on hold. Um, and I remember I, it was right around the time of Something Rotten, the Broadway musical, and I saw a, they did a special preview of it at the Little Schubert Theater, which I think is not called that anymore. Um, and I talked to my friend Heidi from Title of Show and, and whatnot. And she said, you know, even if it doesn't work out, you are going to learn something from this experience. And she sort of had a premonition because this was before I was even let go. Um, so it, that is something I will always remember because I was able to take that experience. And, and actually, I really evolved as a person from seeing that specific side of journalism. I thought, well, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to do that, but I really like doing that. Um, and it sort of was a turning point for me in my life. I love it. And I love it. And it, what a great lesson and advice that even if it doesn't work out, you end up learning something big or small, yeah. but you end up learning yeah. something. Oh, yeah. And in your years as a journalist, how have you managed conflict in a piece you are writing? Yeah, I guess I would relate that to my experience. Uh, I used to do a theater column for New Now Next, which is logo uh, TVs and Viacom's like blog, right? Their website. Uh, they, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race, mm -hmm. all those big brands. Uh, and it was really exciting. And I was really the only person just covering theater. Everyone else was doing TV shows and all this other stuff. So that was really fun. But uh, a lot of times my editor... Um, he would have different ideas for what he wanted the piece to be like, or, you know, the sort of spin on it. And I very much, my whole career have very much only gone from my point of view uh, without having to have too much of anyone else's input. Uh, and if you're fortunate enough to do that, fabulous, but it's not always how things worked out, obviously. Um, but it was difficult in moments because, you really have to negotiate what I would say in my voice and what, you know, the editor wants or what the, the voice of the brand is. Um, and I think that, that having my own brand for such a long time, it's, it's sort of difficult to let those things go, but there is a little bit of a <laughs> negotiation to happen <laughs> to say the least. And how did that or those negotiations went? They were, They were, tr they were sometimes tricky. Um, I also was sort of finding my voice. So mm -hmm. sometimes you, you kind of think, oh, well, I'm going to be, I'm just going to write about news, you know, or I'm going to just write about gossip. But then at the end of the day, you have to think, what do I want to represent? Mm -hmm. You know, because you put it on the internet, it's out there forever, right? You know, like you are writing things that are people are going to read and they might take a look at in 10 years from now. And it, it just had to go a certain way in terms of listening, but also um, taking care of myself as well. Absolutely. Because this industry, I mean, 
Thespians love drama. Our industry is built on drama. And sometimes there's like a, a universal battle with gossip and journalism. So yeah, it can be it can get really nasty. And as you just said, something you put online probably will be there forever. And even if you delete it, someone for sure took a screenshot or something. Um, yeah. So yeah. it can come back and bite your butt. <laughs> and I also think... There's a big challenge in the industry, and I talk about this a lot on Twitter, is that you have just a couple brands that cover Broadway generally. Playbill, Broadway.com, Broadway World, I guess you can include Theater Mania, New York Times Theater section. And especially, sometimes excluding the New York Times, they're selling tickets. They are advertising at the same time. They are trying to get into the press room for a new Broadway show. So there's this big conflict where they don't like to say anything that's going to upset anybody. And that's a really terrible place as a journalist to cover things. And I, I'm very certain that there are journalists at Playbill or wherever who really want to cover a certain story and they don't, they're not allowed to, you yeah. know, because they're getting money from the show. But that is not a place that any journalist should ever be in a space for. And I think there has to be a room to grow where we evolve and say, no, actually, we need to cover this story. Somebody was abused and this should be the headline. We need to talk about it, even if it's difficult, even if it's going to upset people, it's still important to talk about. So you think that in terms of media and coverage, the industry may be, have, may be facing a turning point? I don't know. Okay, here's the thing. Um, you know about the story of the <clears throat> former producer of, let's say, The Music Man? <laughs> Do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. Okay. So I've been covering him for, I want to say, eight or nine years. Okay. <laughs> and nobody cared for all those eight or nine years. And you know what? It's fine if they don't listen to me. It's not, it's not about me. It's about telling other people's stories that were actually really mattered and were really difficult and hard to talk about. Um, but it took one article to change all that. However, um, and I, I deeply talk about this online, but I think it was 12 or 16 days until it was covered by anybody else. Yeah. And in fact, there is, um, a certain costume designer um, who is represented right now at Diana on Broadway and the return of Beetlejuice, I'm assuming. Um, and nobody has even covered the sexual abuse misconduct in his past. And this one person on Twitter has really tried to get his voice out there. It wasn't covered by Playbill, Broadway.com, Broadway World, New York Times. They refused to. It was only on Broadway. It was at, um, BuzzFeed News initially. And it just kind of hurts your heart. And this costume designer is so well-loved and has Tony's galore, you know, is, is so connected. But there has to be a moment where we say, this enough is enough. Even if we're not going to fire this person, mm -hmm. it hasn't been addressed at all. And I think that's very problematic. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And hopefully people 
can get more attention like these these voices that are online trying to not only break into the industry but share stories that matter truly yeah. matter can get appreciated sooner than later um and i think i think that's sort of what happened with west side story yeah i mean there were so many controversies and i i really hate to see I think there was over 30 Broadway debuts with that music, musical revival. And I hate to see all those people at work because that's, that's, you know, that's awful. Yeah. Um, uh, including a friend of mine is really sad, but you know, there was so much against them and it wasn't necessarily with the exception of one person, the cast fault, but there were protests and there were things happening. It was like, I don't know how they could possibly get away. But because people were speaking up on Twitter, there was a, a way that we could sort of organize and say, we need to do something better. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you. So changing <laughs> topics now, because we went a little <laughs> too deep there. Um, yeah. Wanna... Welcome to me on any show. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know your perspective about the Tonys this year. <laughs> that weird event that happened. Uh, yeah, I want to know your thoughts about it. Well, can I get your opinion? I'd love to hear, did you watch the whole thing? Were you able to access it? Tell me everything. I could see the first part uh, in which okay. Audra hosted it, but I yeah. couldn't get into the concert. Um, yeah. Paramount Plus's offer changes outside the States. And okay. um, I, I had to see them connecting myself to a VPN, using a friend's credentials mm. to see the ceremony, but I couldn't see the, um, the concert. Yeah. I was more excited for the concert, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, but I saw the videos that night, like yeah. half an hour There's, after yeah. on the CBS uh, yeah. Twitter profile. So I saw the, the performances. It's really interesting. And I have friends in Canada who also said that they were not able, you know, just like you to see most of it. I mean, essentially, it was just a four hour Tony Awards. It I know they marketed it as two different things, but it was just a continuation. There really was no, no distinction. In fact, they just had the big awards uh, towards the end. And then oddly enough, they did Best Musical and then I don't know, about 20 minutes more worth of performances, which was a little strange, a very Oscars-esque, if you remember what happened with that fiasco. Um, but I have to say, I'm a big critic of the Tonys. I, of course, grew up with them. I love the performances, but there's so many technical difficulties and there's things that they really get wrong, politically speaking or socially speaking or voter speaking, you know. I was quite impressed. There was definitely a couple moments that uh, I could have done without, to be honest. But uh, overall, I thought it was generally very entertaining. Um, and uh, I mean, Audra looked gorgeous. She always does. Yeah. Um, but there was, I think, very good representation. Um, I, I hope that, that it felt that way. It seemed to me, at least. Um, but it, it was, I mean, I don't know. I, I, Paramount Plus is a newer service. And I'm sure for especially international customers, there's a lot of kinks to work out there or access. Really, I think it really comes down to access because it is typically an internationally viewed award show, uh, even if it's not as big as the Oscars per se. Um, 
So if they are able to do it, I think it has to be on CBS too, because ultimately, if it's not on network TV, there's a lot of people who won't be able to watch it. And I think that's a problem for, you know, because there's a lot of people who only have cable, who yeah. love to watch the performances and they can't wait to buy tickets. And you're sort of, mm, you know, taking them out. Now, I'm a very anti-cable person myself. I only stream and I'm all about the streaming, no ads, all that. But um, I think it could work. But uh, I ultimately, I was pretty happy. Listen, Matthew Lopez is a longtime friend. So very, very, very happy for him. Um, I know there was a, uh, I guess people would call it backlash. Um, wasn't controversial to me, but Slave Play not winning best play. Now, the fact that they got zero awards, a little surprising to me. Um, I saw both plays. I love them both. Um, I think it, they deserve lead actress. That was really shocking they didn't get that. Um, even though, I mean, let's be honest, Mary Louise Parker was also phenomenal. It's it's so hard to pick with, I mean, with any of these choices, there's yeah. not like, it's not really best, you know, it's like the one that people voted for. <laughs> because as someone said in their speech, like every best play, musical, et cetera, they're all really incredible. And the fact that they're still running or they still, you know, have an audience or able to talk. I mean, we're talking about 2019. <laughs> it was over two years of no Tony, so. It's, you know, a strange time. And I don't know, do we have another Tony's in June? I'm not really sure. But I'm, I'm very happy for Matthew. Um, in his speech, he said he wanted to thank um, all Latinos of all shades, which I think was a direct reference to In the Heights, if we're being very honest. Um, but uh, I'm just so proud of him. I just, I remember, like, when he couldn't get an interview with, like, theater companies because he was brown and they weren't interested and now <laughs> he has a Tony for best play and he's directing a new movie and you know um I love to see people have success and he's very deserving of it so yeah absolutely so shout out to Matthew and congratulations again he must be thrilled I'm thrilled for him <laughs> like his speech touched me as a Latin yeah. man it, it, yeah it meant a lot for me Um, and and did you know the word he said? Latin? Yeah. Have, had you heard that before? No, actually. I hadn't either. And he smartly keeps saying it in interviews so people sort of understand. But anyway, that's the other thing is like he makes you learn too, which is mm -hmm. really important. Um, and I remember we're texting several months back uh, in the early days of the pandemic. And he said, I'm going to start putting an accent over the O in Lopez. And I said, yeah, like you should. Like, first off, I didn't even know that Lopez had an accent because I've never seen it written that way, which is insane that I didn't know that. Um, and I was like, yeah, like you should be as, as authentic as you can. I mean, historically, if you know his famous aunt, Priscilla Lopez, she won a Tony in the 80s. Um, and she was, of course, original cast of A Chorus Line. But early days she used to hide the fact that she was latino and she changed her name not you know for a short period of time um but she wouldn't get gigs and and now look at how far the family has come it's really beautiful to see that and i love that he he took that decision my like my name and my last name need accents right 
So I yeah. understand why. And I always <laughs> present myself or write my name with the accent. Uh, and it's for me. And I have a, a lot of American friends that always ask me like, wait, am I saying your name right or not? Mm. So I know yeah. the value and I just love that he did it. So, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of industry industry folks who their name is pronounced a completely different way and they just don't tell people ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Paul, yeah. what would you say to a young version of yourself if you could do it? What would I say to a young Paul Winkler? Well, I would say be you. Because I know this sounds cliche, but the most success I've had was when I was as the most authentic version of myself I possibly could be doing what I was doing. Um, and whenever I thought, oh, no, I have to be more like what society wants me to be or more commercial, that, that never worked <laughs> for me. So I think just being true to myself really was the best advice I could give myself. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Last question before we go. Yes. Top five favorite musical theater shows. Oh, that's so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's such a political question, too. <laughs> um, okay. Well, one of my favorite shows seeing on Broadway was the Scottsboro Boys by Kander and Neb. It's actually part of the trilogy. You might not know this, um, which was Chicago, Cabaret, Scottsboro Boys. Um, very powerful. Um, I'll just put out Hello, Dolly, because it's a fabulous musical. Uh, oh, I mean, like half a Sondheim, should we put Into the Woods or Follies? Um, I mean, I could go on and on about Sondheim. Um, let's see. <laughs> I reference this show all the time. And if you did to see it, you might not get it. But I always talk about one of my favorite shows, The Drowsy Chaperone. <laughs> and they are doing a musical sequel i will have you know they're hoping to have the original cast in it so we'll see minus georgia engel r.i.p okay one last show let's see i'll just be very commercial and i'll just say moulin rouge obviously <laughs> <laughs> i love it paul if someone wants to contact you read your yeah. stuff um I know we already know that you're on Instagram and Twitter, uh, but how can someone contact you? Yeah, I'm at Mr. Paul Winkler on Twitter and at Paul Winkler on Instagram. Um, although I just uh, don't don't Instagram too much anymore, but I'm, I'm a big Twitter person, as you probably know. Um, and then you could visit my website, So You Dare, um, paulwinkler.nyc. And yeah, send me a message. I'm always, it's so lovely to hear from you and to hear your passion. Um, and I'm sure whether you're in Colombia or you're here, you're going to share that joy with somebody. And that's a beautiful thing. So I love that. And I love to hear from people. So please message me. <laughs> thank you so much, Paul. And thank you so much for coming over. It's been amazing. Oh, and see you out there. Read you out there. <laughs> yes, you too. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of Backstage Talk. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Backstage Talk Podcast. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.